The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. We're broadcasting today at the National Symposium on Cybersecurity and Government, sponsored by Public Technology Institute and CompTIA. Our guest today is Eileen Kazaropel, Chief Information Officer from Worcester, Massachusetts, my old stomping grounds. So welcome to Ask the CIO SLED Edition, our state and local program, Eileen. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, it's very interesting, as I mentioned off to the side, that uh, just a couple, uh, two months ago, I guess now, we had my uh, successor several times removed, Kurt Wood, Chief Information Officer for the Commonwealth on my program. It was great to hear his uh, major public safety background, which you are familiar with. Yes. So how do you know him? Um, so we, you know, the city of Worcester, we support the public safety departments and um, every year or two there's the CGIS Criminal Justice Information System audit. And at the time, so we've been dealing with Curtis Woods when he was in that public safety role, uh, working with him with the state on on that those CGIS certifications. And so how did you get to be chief information officer in Worcester? Uh, I've been with the city of Worcester for over 30 years uh, in the as the deputy CIO and recently was promoted to the the CIO in the past 14 months. So you've been working for the for the city for all that 30, time, huh? 30 years, yes. Oh, so in you the, know your way around, Yes, huh? so I started when there was key punch cards and we were called data processing, <laughs> and now we've evolved to technical services Yeah, department. I think we've both been uh, <laughs> in that environment before. Uh, you had a very interesting panel. In fact, the whole program has been very interesting with a lot of, uh, I think it came a lot of folks, including myself, came away shaking our heads about the challenges of cybersecurity, particularly when it comes to things like like the talk of the day was ransomware, to be honest with you. Right. I had no idea the scope and the depth of the issue and uh, what's facing particularly local governments. You know, you read in the paper about the attacks in, in Texas recently mm-hmm. and some of the larger ones around the country, but I had no idea uh, there was this much going on and, and the difficulty in addressing it. So one of the ways to address it is, was the topic of, uh, of your particular panel, Cyber Awareness Programs More Than Once a Year Event. Tell us some about the elements of an effective program in places like Worcester and other municipalities. Uh, We've had our official cybersecurity awareness program in place for over a year. We actually hired a full-time cybersecurity awareness trainer using a vacant, you know, computer operator position. What started out as thinking cybersecurity awareness would be part of her position and then do, uh, you know, deliver software training. That lasted a few weeks when we, we figured out how massive the cybersecurity awareness training is and it's not a one and done it's continually ongoing we started with a baseline uh, mandatory employee awareness training it's one hour uh, in small groups of 15 so there's interaction and now we're moving on into the next level um, having workshops and other trainings and then you know and then keep moving along with mandatory trainings in between we have newsletters we send out information through the help desk we have events with prizes for those departments that the department that will have the the best cybersecurity scorecard every October which is cybersecurity awareness month but the best program is one that is ongoing it's just not a one-time thing or once a year it's ongoing every day when someone receives a phishing email we forward it out to everyone saying this is an example about what's floating around we remind them never to 
give their log on credentials under any circumstances to anybody. So it's just, it's an ongoing. You know, I'm sure just going back to my chief information officer, officer days, when we had the, the issue of data breaches and all that, it was very, very uh, confidential information. You hated, hated to broadcast it. And now uh, with, uh, and I'm not asking you particulars to, but Worcester, but is it a problem in, in the New England area as well, just like it is around the rest of the country? Oh, yes. Uh, the Massachusetts towns uh, have been compromised every day. We're hearing of a new one, especially uh, the smaller towns and uh, that the school the public schools are a prime target as well but local cities and towns you know the cyber criminals know that they're an easy target that um, they'll probably going to pay a ransom if they don't have a sophisticated IT backup and recovery process in place all right speaking of developing a process or a program in place how do you do it budget-wise where do you get the money and, and how do you get the resources to be effective I was fortunate that I had a vacant position and turned it into the full-time cybersecurity awareness trainer, uh, but her one-hour mandatory training is basically a PowerPoint, and she's adds uh, new subject material every day. Unfortunately, a new city or town is compromised, so she updates and keeps her content fresh with some videos and you know some attendees feel like they already know everything, but they leave there saying, "Wow." I didn't even know half of this existed. So it's, it's very beneficial, but it can be as basic as a PowerPoint. And we've actually shared it with the Worcester Public School Department, and she's delivered training to over 200 administrators and have shared it with uh, other communities and companies that have asked for it. It sounds like you've been able to get buy-in from your senior executives in Worcester to enable you to, do, uh, to provide the resources to some of these other jurisdictions. How did you go about engaging them to get behind this program? Well, just to... I'll let you know a little background too. I was able to hire a uh, data security specialist as well. I had asked for that position because we don't even have a security division per se in, in the city. And coincidentally, right when I put it in my budget request, Atlanta was compromised. I went to my budget hearing with the city manager, Ed Augustus, and he just approved it 100% after knowing how vulnerable cities and towns are and you really need to have somebody full-time paying attention to protecting your data in addition to delivering the awareness training. So it's from the top down. It's been 100% uh, approved and, and, you know, supported. So you mentioned getting approval of the resources and a staff person for this. How about this whole issue of insurance policies for ransomware? Did Worcester take a look at that as well? Uh, we have not, and I actually will be, um, it's on my list for the fall, is to uh, bring in some vendors, find out what it's all about, and then look at the pricing and, and the risk and then bring it to the top level and sit down and have a, a conversation on the, the balance of, you know, and do we feel confident that we don't need it? And now after this, this the risk uh, cybersecurity insurance uh, session this afternoon, it really, I've learned a lot. I think we all did. That was very impressive. Yes. I came out shaking my head. I think a number of people are going back to their headquarters after this is over and sitting down with their budget people and saying, hey, we've got to take a look at this. And, right. for, and, and in some cases, probably you're not even sure if you have it or not. Maybe a rider in some policy that only your lawyers and legal people were familiar with, right? Yeah. So we'll see the city's self-insured. Mm -hmm. So we do not have it. But that means that if our equipment is compromised, there's no insurance to get that back. Right. 
Um, so we just need to sit around and make an informed decision based on what we learn from from the vendors on yeah. what's included and what's not included. And it's so confusing because on one hand you're hearing from the FBI and the, the public safety people not to pay the ransom, yet I didn't hear that at all today from some of the experts around the uh, the, the cybersecurity symposium at all. Yeah, it's 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 hard to to make that decision. Although someone did bring up in one of the sessions that uh, it should be a federal mandate that nobody pays a ransom. And then maybe then that will limit the amount of attacks, although they'll just find another way. But. And as was brought out, it's easy to say when you're not responsible for getting the checks out right. and the food stamps out right. and all the other services that local government provides. It's real easy for you to say, yeah, don't pay it. When if your system goes down, you're not only jeopardizing finances and revenues, you're jeopardizing lives when it right. comes to public And there's safety. that risk that right. you have to balance and... You know, you, you're, the city will be losing revenue because it will be down for X amount of time. So that's less revenue that they will generate out the windows for, you know, birth certificates, weddings, real estate taxes. And then depending on how long we're compromised, the city would have to change the due date of tax billing. And that's a big hit. Right. Uh, your presentation also included a lot of information on where to go for outside help. Another, we've got another minute or so. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we're fortunate the state of Massachusetts through Governor Baker and, and um, Lute the My Lieutenant Governor. My old boss, Governor. by the way. <laughs> Karen Polito, the Lieutenant Governor. They've created a um, Massachusetts Community Compact grant uh, where there's a best practices grant, cybersecurity grant, and IT grant. And we were fortunate to receive uh, a grant for a cybersecurity risk assessment, an internal risk assessment, which we had that performed. And then we also received uh, training subscription licenses uh, for 1,800 employees to now take part in the state's new cybersecurity training portal. So we'll be receiving those licenses in October during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and that will give us an opportunity to have another additional layer of training in addition to what we have for a training portal. Well, very good, Eileen. Uh, good luck to you, and, and say hello to Charlie Baker <laughs> if you ever get a chance to bump into him. We'll have to take a short break now. Our guest has been Eileen Casaropo. We're broadcasting today at the National Symposium on Cybersecurity in Government with Public Technology Institute and CompTIA. We'll be right back with our next guest in just a moment. You're listening to Ask the CIO SLED Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You might soon stream high-definition video from a camera so small it could be attached to your glasses. The tiny camera would wirelessly send its images to your smartphone. Joshua Smith, an engineer at the University of Washington, says it's engineered to reflect radio waves beamed from a plugged-in device to send the pictures. Instead of having a battery, if we could power these devices using radio waves, not only does it enable wearable devices, but you can build sensors into all kinds of places where it just wouldn't be feasible to service batteries. This technology could be used to advance smart city and home applications. It might even be used in medicine. If you can implant cameras inside the body in various places, there's a lot of physiological information you could probably get from that. And Smith says as energy efficiency of microelectronics continues to improve, the potential uses for this camera technology will only grow. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The FBI and its partners are engaging the public in their efforts to identify and mitigate the homegrown violent extremist threat. 
The 2019 version of the Homegrown Violent Extremist Mobilization Indicators booklet describes behaviors that, when considered in context, could raise red flags worthy of reporting to law enforcement. Michael Mochtinger is a unit chief in the FBI's Counterterrorism Division. We recognize the need to provide these indicators to community leaders and to our private sector partners so that they would understand and feel confident about when they can and should go to law enforcement to tell us about someone who may be a problem. Homegrown violent extremists usually act alone and are separate from the foreign terrorist organization that inspire them, making them difficult to find. But Mochtinger says public engagement is working. What we've seen over the last few years is that cases on individuals who attempted to conduct an attack but were disrupted by the FBI, about a quarter of them were identified from community tips. Find a link to the booklet on FBI.gov. With FBI This Week, I'm Molly. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and we're broadcasting today at the National Symposium on Cybersecurity in Government, sponsored by Public Technology Institute and CompTIA. And my next guest is Dr. Alan Shark, Executive Director of PTI. So welcome to Ask the CIO Sled Edition, our state and local show, Alan. John, a pleasure to be back. Well, it is nice to be back. We had Alan on a few months ago to talk about his organization and the merger with CompTIA. Uh, tell us about your, your symposium. What was your objective? Our objective is kind of a follow-up to what we did last year. So this is becoming an annual event to kind of educate uh, and understand best practices having to do with local government and the challenges being fostered by cybersecurity. And this continues to grow and morph. And so every year the program kind of morphs and changes to reflect those kind of things or incidents that are occurring. And uh, this year it was to just build upon what we've done in the past. But now there's some new things like ransomware that have really hit the radar. Have they ever? Tell us a little bit about one, what ransomware is for our audience. Ransomware, you know, we used to worry about hacks. And hacks was a terrible thing. Disclosure of information, uh, maybe a defacement of a website. Ransomware is far different in the sense that it basically locks the entire system of a city or a county. It could even be a state agency, a police department, or and all of these have been hacked categorically. What that means is the bad guys have planted some kind of malware, uh, maybe through a careless click of an employee or other means of some kind of weakness in the system, and every file is encrypted. And the idea of ransomware means that in order to unlock those files, one has to pay a fee. Now. Maybe once upon a time, if you used a credit card or a check, you would have a way to kind of capture that. But these guys are pretty smart. Two things are happening. One, they're charging more and more money as they become emboldened because of their successes. And number two, they're asking for this to be paid in Bitcoin, which is essentially untraceable. This makes it something that uh, we've never encountered before. There is no recourse once something is paid. And it seems as if there is a, a very difference of opinion out there in the, in the community, in the industry, et cetera, on whether this ransomware should be paid. It kind of goes back to our old cops and robbers shows we've watched for years and years about the FBI. Oh, you never pay ransom. But the FBI is not the one that has to pay the, pay the checks and send the money out and the food stamps and 
do the public address and the dispatchers, et cetera, when they're necessary. So it's a tough issue, isn't it? It's very tough. And it's interesting. The FBI has not changed its tune. So if you listen to the FBI and Department of Homeland Security, all the experts say, you know, these are the three things. A, do not pay. Why? Because it encourages bad behavior. It just emboldens the bad guys to do more. Number two, uh, they say that um, just because you pay does not necessarily guarantee that your citizens will remain unaffected. So there's always that risk. Uh, so yeah, you have some interesting challenges here. And so yes, how we address it is shifting. Do you pay or do you not? And on top of that, what do you have? Ransomware insurance. Tell us about that. That's well, a new industry I just learned about this week. Oh, it's, it's a burgeoning, growing industry. Um, I, it, it's um, still in its infancy. There are a few companies that are offering it and more getting into the game because it is actually profitable for them based on the premiums that they're charging. But it's a new game. So the premiums at this moment in time are relatively inexpensive. But here's where it gets complicated. In the past, ransomware was so cheap that people would realize it's better to pay than to spend all the time of restoring a system. And so ransomware may be $500, maybe 1000 Recently, a Florida city paid $600,000. Mm. And it's like, how did this happen? Well, the insurance company sat with the city council and said, we think you should pay and we'll cover you. From a business point of view, the insurance company could care less about the FBI and Homeland Security. They were protecting their bottom line. They fulfilled their obligation and said, it's better to pay than pay millions upon millions of dollars to restore a system. So this makes things even more complicated. And the fear is that as more of the bad guys learn who has cybersecurity, it may make those very people. Cybersecurity insurance. Yeah, that have it may make these people even more prone to attack. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, at what point will insurance companies wake up and realize they either shouldn't be paying or they're going to charge such incredible amounts of their premiums, no one will afford it. So this is a very dangerous cycle that is occurring as we speak. It sure is. And I noticed in, in speaking to the, um, the folks at the, in the audience, as well as some of the speakers after their presentations, that a number of them don't really know and aren't involved in the determination whether or not they should have this insurance in the first place. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation about what insurance really covers. And even those who have it will be the first to acknowledge they haven't even looked at their policy. It may have been signed by somebody else. They don't know what the gaps are. They don't know what the uh, caps are, difference. Gap, meaning something that's not covered. A cap means that maybe they can only pay up to a certain threshold uh, and other considerations. So we're dealing with a lot of ignorance of people not knowing what they're signing and not being aware of what they really should be covered for. You made a very interesting point in one of your presentations today, and that had to do with how the industry and various organizations like PTI, CompTIA, and others might help here. Well, I, I think we have to first educate our cities and counties across the country. Um, most of what is happening is being reported through the press. There is no legal requirement at this moment in time by any state, although I think that's going to change in the state of Texas. But right now, there's no requirement to report it. So we don't, we don't even know, except anecdotally, where things are happening unless it does make the press. We want to have a system that basically we report it, 
we find out what's going on. We can learn from the types of attacks, how they occurred, so we can spread the information to others so that they can develop better defenses from that happening in their own jurisdictions. That's number one. Number mm -hmm. two, I think we can band together and really figure out a way to perhaps petition the government, come up with a real strong plan with all the associations that we work with to say, this should be banned. The federal government should probably step in and say, it is illegal to pay ransom. Mm. That may change things, and we have to do something to break a cycle of this criminal activity that profits from the vulnerabilities of local governments, and there's no end in sight. Was there also something you mentioned about industry, how they might be able to work with the associations of of municipal governments and somehow spread the cost around so it's not so expensive for some of these communities who, as you as you know, the over under 50,000, just huge numbers, right, yeah. across the country. John, you raise a, a really important point. One of the people in the audience asked that question, and this person was from the vendor community, and, you know, the, basically there was a sense of frustration. They go to the little government, the small government, and they say, we can't afford this, or we'll only pay for this. It's like having a bunch of apartments saying, we'll only lock have locks for these apartments. Mm -hmm. That, in, in the cyber world, you have to have everything locked or nothing locked. And so where I think uh, associations like PTI, CompT, and others can be useful is to kind of broker kind of a shared service model for the smaller government that honestly can't afford it. And I, I'm sympathetic, but if you can spread the costs over a larger spread by having maybe 10 governments or 20 governments or an entire state as part of a, of a pool, then you have a chance of doing better in developing better defenses. Uh, you mentioned this was the second symposium. You'll probably have a third next year about this time. What would you like to report back next fall of 2020 about the progress that's been made on this issue? I would like to see more local governments developing better strategies and better plans to both prevent it and to the extent where we can't prevent it for whatever reason, because there's so many what we call endpoints that are very hard to protect, maybe we do a better job of backups. I mean, once something happens and the files are frozen, there are ways of recovering files, but many people do a, fairly, a fairly sloppy job of basically uh, storing their backups in such a way that they too can be infected. So my hope would be that at least in this area, we will we'll have a new issue, so I'm not worried. But in this area that we've at least come up with a better uh, plan for more local governments so they feel more confident and then more control because it is a very costly endeavor. If you are hacked uh, with ransomware, all businesses stop. You cannot get married, you cannot get divorced, you cannot get land permits. All the lines of business, even the smallest government has 200 lines of business. Every day you cannot take money. There is a loss of business and a loss of confidence and a loss of trust. Yeah, and, and obviously, it seems with the state of the art, if you will, I notice, I notice in Texas, you say they may pass a law to prohibit uh, payment of ransom. They just went through a rash of ransomware incidents, 20 or so different local governments. Well, two things. Let me correct something. If I, if I misstated this, they're not going to make it illegal to pay, but they're going to require, if you pay ransom, to report it. To report it, okay. Yeah, so let me clarify that. Yes, 23 local governments... And this is really sad because I'm promoting shared service approaches. And here, 23 governments got together with a vendor and put everything in, the, in, the, in that person's cloud. Unfortunately, they didn't do enough of their homework. If they had, they would have realized this was not a qualified vendor to do it. So it was one hack 
that gave them access, the bad guys, to 23 local governments. Oh, and so, you know, they're doing everything right, except they picked the wrong vendor. The wrong and <laughs> they didn't say, this, this vendor didn't have the most updated windows. They didn't have all the patches. So they were a hack waiting to happen. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to conclude our program, Alan. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Alan Shark, who's the executive director of PTI. And thanks for taking the time to be with us and listen. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you could join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.